Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Kevin Ring. Kevin, welcome to the show. Henry, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to chat about, and uh, and Kevin's going to share his expertise and knowledge on workers' compensation insurance. So navigating workers' compensation insurance, which is, of course, crucial for small business owners. So balancing both employee safety and benefits and the financial impact of having this type of coverage as a small business owner. And so to help us better understand this workers' compensation insurance is Kevin Ring. He's with me today. He leads the workers' compensation, or he is rather a lead workers' compensation analyst at the Institute of Work Comp Professionals. And he'll tell us more about that organization and what he does there. He's going to share his expert tips and his in-depth knowledge on managing workers' compensation effectively. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue supporting my show and receive workshop discounts and join my monthly group coaching session through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowabusiness.com. I also encourage you to please subscribe wherever you're listening to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Let me tell you a little bit more about Kevin. Kevin is, again, as I said, the lead workers' compensation analyst at the Institute of Work Comp Professionals, WCP, which trains both insurance agents and employers in how to build a successful workers' comp program. Employers have been taught that, uh, employers like us, small business owners, have been taught that because workers' comp is mandatory, except for in Texas, (laughs) uh, and the policy is the same no matter where or who they work with, They have no control and should just shop for the lowest price, but nothing could be further from the truth. Kevin is extremely knowledgeable in the field of workers' compensation, and he wants to help and is joining us today, help struggling business owners and employers across America, particularly those with blue or gray collar workers, to limit unnecessary expenses and have more productive and profitable businesses which is what we're all trying to achieve. He's reviewed and analyzed over 1,200 experience mod worksheets. What is a mod worksheet, Kevin? So for uh, for many businesses, I would not say most uh, because there's a, a premium threshold that you have to, to be at in order to qualify for experience rating. And that varies from state to state, but probably on average, if you're if you're paying more than seventy five hundred dollars a year or so in workers comp premium, then you have uh, an experience modification factor, and this yeah. is uh, is something that is is calculated uh, using your past experience of employee injuries and your payroll, which we'll talk some about, uh, to measure whether or not you are above or below average uh, in your history of employee injuries to assist in the the pricing of of workers' compensation. I suspect uh, your listeners who are in the construction industry are probably intimately familiar with their experience mod because it is frequently used as a qualifying factor when uh, when folks are hiring subcontractors. Got it. Excellent. Thanks for clarifying that. So obviously, Kevin has extensive experience in that area. Uh, he has also served as an expert witness in litigation involving the workers' compensation premium audit, which we'll talk about that process as well. So 
as you get it, Kevin is an expert in this arena. That's why I'm privileged and excited to have him on the show. He lives in the Asheville, North Carolina area. Once again, Kevin Ring, welcome to the show. Thank you again. It's uh, it's going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, lots to it, and, and there was a lot. I put together a lot of questions before before we started recording. You made the comment we could be talking about this for hours, but we won't. We're going to keep this to to the typical time frame for our episodes. But let's start with at a high level. Just just if we're all level set, what is workers' compensation insurance, and who needs it? So, workers' compensation insurance uh, for for my money is the the greatest insurance product that any business owner can buy. Uh, if we if we transport ourselves back to uh, let's say the year 1900, prior to the first workers' compensation law uh, that was passed and and withstood the uh, scrutiny from the courts, which was passed in 1911 in Wisconsin, when an um, employee was injured at work, they were effectively on their own to deal with it. And if they wanted uh, their employer to contribute to their recovery, they would have to sue the employer uh, and claim some sort of negligence. Uh, And this is obviously uh, challenging and expensive. And uh, we all know that in the legal system, it is frequently the person or the entity with the greatest amount of resources that wins. Uh, so employer employees were very disadvantaged and you had folks getting hurt and potentially never able to work again and they were just stuck on their own. On the flip side of that, of course, employers were dealing with uh, with constant lawsuits, which even if you have a lot of money, uh, lawsuits are very expensive and time consuming. Uh, and so the the workers' compensation law began to pop up in the early part of the 20th century and the core of of the, the concept is still in place today. And that is what is often referred to in our industry as the grand bargain, this idea that an employer is uh, with, with a few narrow exceptions, things like intoxication and, and things like that. Uh, the employer is responsible for uh, the medical costs when an employee gets injured at work. Uh, it doesn't matter whose fault it was, uh, or, or anything like that. Uh, the employer is responsible for that. And the employer is also responsible for uh, providing for a portion of the employee's lost wages when they, they cannot work. In exchange for, uh, for that presumption of liability on the employer's side, uh, the employee loses the right to, uh, to go after big dollar uh, you know, lawsuits where people are suing for punitive damages and things of that nature. There's obviously litigation involved in workers' comp, and, and we might sure. get into that conversation. But that's the core of, of workers' compensation, this idea that an employer can buy insurance that is going to cover that responsibility that they have, and that when a worker is injured, that uh, they don't have to go into their own pocket. They aren't going to you know, lose their livelihood uh, just because they suffered an injury at work. Uh, in terms of who needs it, I would say there's two answers to that question. The first question is who is legally required to have it, and that varies from state to state. Uh, some states uh, require any business with any number of employees, including a solopreneur who has no employees, uh, to carry workers' compensation. 
other states uh, have employee thresholds. For instance, uh, here in my home state of North Carolina, uh, if your business has fewer than three employees, uh, you are not required to purchase workers' compensation. Uh, From our perspective, we would say that uh, any business, uh, even if you're working on your own, uh, there is no less expensive way uh, to to protect yourself when you're working than workers' compensation. So I would encourage uh, even those of you listening who may not be legally required uh, in your state to purchase workers' compensation, uh, I would encourage you to look into it. It's typically not uh, going to be very expensive uh, if you are you know, by yourself or have, have one or two employees, even if you're not required to buy it, uh, because the, uh, the coverage is incredibly extensive. And uh, you know, as we record this in late 2023, uh, there has never been a time when workers' compensation was less expensive than it is right now. Why is that? Why? Because, you know, when we look at other insurance coverages of all types or medical coverage, it's the opposite. Why is that the case, Kevin? Um, it's it's the case. I mean, there's a there's a wide variety of of circumstances that are impacting workers compensation rates uh, around the country. But, you know, when you look on the a broader time scale, say over 50, 60 plus years, uh, obviously, working today is safer than it's ever been. Yeah. Um, the the equipment people are using in manufacturing, the the lack of of hand tools compared to decades past. So fewer people are getting injured than ever before, and that's Severely been injured, a yeah. uh, a consistent trend. Um, and then you put on top of that. Uh, the the number one thing that's impacted workers' comp rates over the last 10 years uh, is that if we had been having this conversation 15 years ago and you looked at the rate of increase in the cost of workers' compensation medical care uh, and you graphed that increase against the, the increase in the cost of medical care in the broader economy, what you would find is that the workers' comp line was much, much steeper. So medical care and workers' comp was getting more expensive much faster than the general economy. Over the last 10 years, uh, that has moderated. Workers' comp medical is still more expensive than medical care and you know for just normal medical treatment outside of work. Uh, but those lines are running pretty much parallel. And uh, when you combine that with uh, the uh, the massive changes in uh, patterns prescribing opioids. Uh, we're all familiar with the opioid crisis that has been going on in this country for quite some time. And it's impacted workers' compensation as well. Uh, and the, the drop in those prescriptions has had a very large impact. And then regulatory changes uh, in various states over the years Uh, And what you see, uh, the net result is that insurance companies have been extremely, extremely profitable writing workers' comp over the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that rates are are still too high. Uh, And so they continue to go down and and then we'll we'll see, you know, they can't go to zero. We'll see what happens. Interesting. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. As as I mentioned in the intro, you know, my first businesses were in Texas. 
I live in Florida now, but but my I lived in Texas for many years, and so that's where my first experience was with workers' comp. And just the, the rule of thumb was, as a small business owner, you didn't even consider it because it was too expensive. Now I can't tell you that I even remember getting a quote. It was just common practice. You didn't do it. You had some kind of procedure internally for how you dealt with injuries, and you you self funded that. Um, and I was fortunate; never got into any big situation where I got sued for that. But that was certainly an exposure point. But that was just a common, the common uh, thought and expectation in Texas and Florida is similar. I don't know all the rules, but similar to uh, Carolina, as you explained it. There's there's limits, so under three employees, you don't have to. Um, where I guess I can search state by state that I'm in to find out the overall rules for my state that's at the state level. And that's what you would recommend, right. To figure out what the requirements are. Yeah. There are really good uh, resources online for basic questions uh, like that. Honestly, probably uh, if you searched your workers compensation requirements, your state, uh, you're probably going to find something from, uh, the State Department of Insurance uh, and and other resources that will tell you whether or not you're legally required to buy it. Uh, speaking of Florida and talking about rates being low, I actually read an article late last week where uh, a large construction association in Florida was asking that rates not be dropped in 2024. They're concerned that they're actually getting too low and they won't be uh, sufficient. Um, that's how low rates are getting is that employer groups are actually asking for them not to go down further, which, you know, what business owner doesn't want a right. product that they purchase to be less expensive. And, and when you talk about 15, 20 years ago, uh, and when we started the Institute in 2001, workers comp rates were, uh, ridiculously high. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and on top of that, you had what we in the insurance business call a hard market, which is uh, is a, a situation where insurance companies not only are charging high premiums, but they they aren't enthusiastic about writing a lot of insurance, period. And right. in workers' compensation, uh, every state has a mechanism through which if your business cannot obtain workers' comp coverage in the, the standard market, uh, that that they have a mechanism where you can uh, can buy it from uh, what's often called the assigned risk or the residual market. Uh, and and what we see today is that the residual market, that that piece of the uh, of businesses that that no one really wants, um, is as low as it's been in in decades. You know, there's wide 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 availability, which of course then leads to competition. Uh, at least for the best businesses where different insurance companies right. are are vying to to write that. It's, yeah, which it's been a fascinating us. couple of decades for sure. I got to think also to your point, what was exacerbating rates back in, you know, I started my first business in 1991, is in, in when you have a market like Texas where it's not required, therefore the risk pool is smaller, which I'm assuming had an impact on higher rates as well. Is that fair? It would certainly play a part for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and and there's yeah, there's all sorts of of market dynamics there, and I don't know. I certainly don't know the numbers going back to the '90s, and I <laughs> don't know the numbers today for Texas right. in terms of what percentage of businesses do and don't buy workers' comp uh, in Texas. But it 
it is the still the one holdout where you yeah. are not required to purchase it. Yeah, I would say anecdotally, based on you know my my knowledge of that market, most small business owners don't go there, and it's because of the point of the uh, supposed cost that we think is expensive. So let's talk about that subject. What goes into calculating my premiums for workers' comp? So the single most important factor in how much your workers' comp premium is going to be uh, is how your business is classified, uh, and answering this question as a small business owner can be challenging uh, be largely because in most states the classifications are uh, are not available just by googling things um, so there's 38 states that are that all have their workers comp rules governed uh, by an organization called the National Council on Compensation Insurance which is uh, based in South Florida, the states hire them uh, to provide this service. And there's, depending on the state, between 550 and 600 different classifications. Now, um, for those of you in California, Pennsylvania, New York, Delaware, New Jersey, uh, North Carolina has theirs available online, and I'm sure I'm, I'm missing one or two others, uh, there are states that that do not work directly with NCCI where you can find the classifications uh, online. Uh, but these classifications uh, define what your business is for workers' compensation purposes. And these and are the same as the NAICS codes that we define? They are versus, not. They are not. Okay. They are not. Um the the workers comp class codes i mean the the purpose of the two uh, at a very high level is the same which is to group employers based on the similarity of their industry uh, but in workers compensation class codes if we think about uh, manufacturing uh, your class code could be determined by what it is you make uh, it could be determined by what you make it from so for instance if you are making a railing for a staircase from steel versus making it from aluminum, that's two different classifications, presumably because the uh, the process of manufacturing sure. is yeah. different. One is um, more, what is, a, more dangerous than the other or whatever. Um, so who determines my code then, my workers' comp code? In, in most states, uh, notable exceptions being California, Pennsylvania, uh, New York, in most states, the classification on your workers' comp policy is the result of a uh, discussion between you and your insurance agent and the insurance company. And so my recommendation to, to a business owner would be to make sure that your insurance agent really understands what your business does mm -hmm. uh, and how you do it. Uh, because uh, there can be very small differences in uh, in the classifications. Uh, for instance, you know if if you're manufacturing or you're machining uh, parts based on or uh, starting with billets that you buy, so like you start with a block of metal and and then you machine that down. Versus if you're making those billets yourself by melting down metal and and doing that, those those would be uh, two different. Uh, two different codes. And so you really need to to work with your agent who should 
uh, understand. And the, the big thing for those of you that have workers' compensation today, uh, do not assume that the classifications that are on your workers' comp policy are correct. They very easily could be. Uh, but businesses change, as we yeah. all know, as small business owners, you know, what you're doing today and what you do next year could could vary a little bit or wildly. Uh, but also classifications change. Um, as you know, if, if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, there wasn't a classification specifically for commercial 3D printing. Um, and today there is. And so your your classification would have changed when that new code uh, came about. If your business pivoted during COVID and started a new product line, that could have impacted your classification. So it's it's certainly uh, worth talking to your agent just to make sure that it's uh, it's correct. Yeah. Is there an issue if I am favorably classified, but yet my business has changed, but that doesn't get changed as far as my policy goes? Am I going to, is that something that I'm open then to, um, I don't know what the right term is, not fraud, but having misrepresented what we do as a business? It's an interesting question. The, the broad answer is no. Um, so the question that we get fairly frequently is, I mean, let's let's start with something that's gross misrepresentation. So right. I own right. a, a roofing yeah. company. Mm -hmm. I own a roofing company and somehow I buy a worker's comp policy and 100% of my payroll is in the clerical classification, right. <laughs> obviously uh, much, much safer. So, yeah. so the first thing is if one of your employees falls off a roof, that injury is going to be paid for. There, no, nothing in this system is going to leave an injured employee hung out to dry because their employer right. did something wrong. Yeah. In that in that situation, uh, the insurance company would cancel your policy, uh, yeah. and then you would have to go find insurance somewhere else. And they're gonna they're gonna audit your policy for uh, for the roofing payroll, and you're gonna owe a lot more money. Yeah. Um, in a more common example. Um, you're manufacturing such an easy thing to go to because there's so, there's so many different kinds of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's imagine you're manufacturing, you know, widget a, and it goes in this one particular class code. And then yeah. you start manufacturing widget B, which would require a second class code. Right. Um, same, same thing here where, you know, no injured employee is going to be disadvantaged because you don't have that second more expensive code. Um, it would then, if if the insurance company discovered that, which they may during the premium audit process, which I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about a little later, mm -hmm. uh, then they would have the opportunity to add that going forward, uh, and and it is it, it takes a lot for an insurance company to accuse a business of misrepresenting themselves. Yeah, unless it was blatant, like the example that you gave. Okay, so so my classification, my code classification is a key component. What what else goes into determining how much I'm going to pay for this coverage? Uh, so if you're experience rated, your experience mod is going to be there. And uh, it's a really important report card um, for your your business. Uh, but you know, you have you have your class codes, then you have the the payroll that goes into those class codes. And so for for most types of businesses uh, outside of uh, construction, agriculture, and temporary staffing, uh, in most businesses, you classify the business uh, 
you so I mean, just before we we started recording, I was talking to someone uh, about a shipping and receiving clerk inside of a, a manufacturing company. And they said, oh, is there a separate classification because they aren't doing manufacturing, they're doing shipping. Uh, and the answer is no, that, that pretty much everyone goes into that code. Uh, there are certain exceptions. Uh, you have uh, clerical, uh, and that includes both clerical working in the office, and then there's a separate classification for uh, clerical telecommuters, people that are are working from home, which is obviously very prevalent today. Um, you have outside salespeople, and in most states, drivers are also uh, an exception. So when you have these different class codes, then the next thing you need to talk to your agent about is who who qualifies for each of those codes. How do you allocate that payroll? Because those class codes then have a rate attached um, that you're being charged against that uh, that payroll. And because obviously- payroll. So it's a percentage of the payroll similar to the way payroll tax is. Yeah, it's a, you know conceptually similar. So you'll look at your workers' comp policy and you'll see that uh, that your clerical rate is 13 cents and that's 13 cents per $100 of payroll. So your payroll gets divided by 100 multiplied by 13 cents. That's your premium for the uh, the clerical piece. All right. When you look at your workers' comp policy, uh, you'll also potentially see uh, credits and debits. Um, insurance companies in most states uh, have the ability to essentially give you an extra discount or maybe uh, a, an anti-discount um, if they feel like they need a little bit more premium than than just the rate times the payroll is giving them. Uh, you'll also see uh, a surcharge for terrorism insurance and business owners uh, sometimes ask about that. Um, that's a, a mandatory surcharge that was a piece of the uh, the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act from the, the federal government that provides a federal backstop for insurers in, in the case of a, uh, a terrorist attack. And uh, so you're going to have, it's a, a pretty small percentage uh, that gets tacked on there. Uh, you'll see premium taxes. That's a state mandated uh, fee that goes back to, to the state. Uh, but the biggest component is what class codes uh, do you have and what payroll do you have in those class codes? Okay. And then I got to think uh, my experience, in other words, my track record claims filed, that has an impact as well on future rates or if I even get offered a renewal? Yes. Uh, so if you, if you have an experience mod, the injuries that you've suffered and how expensive those are directly impact your experience mod, which in turn is going to impact your premium. If you are, are small enough that you do not have an experience mod, uh, then you are going to be what, um, what the state's called merit rated. Um, and this is, I don't even know how I can describe this calculation, but it provides the ability for a small credit or debit if you've been performing very well versus uh, not so much. The biggest concern uh, especially for small businesses is, I mean, if you know, we were talking before we started recording, the workers' comp premium for, for our company is about $1,200 a year. Uh, if I finish this podcast recording and I fall down the steps walking out of my studio and I have a workers' comp claim for $100,000, uh, 
our insurance company probably isn't going to be super pumped about continuing to work with us right. next year because uh, it's hard to balance that $1,200 premium against a $100,000 uh, bill. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where you'll see people have to move into that assigned risk or residual market. Sure, because because another insurance company is going to see that claim and, and uh, similarly um, is going to offer me something at a much higher premium or may not offer me anything at all. Is that correct? Yeah, the the bigger risk is going to be uh, not offering you at all. At all. Um, yeah. There's there's a limited number of levers that insurance companies can pull in workers' compensation to charge higher premiums. Um, in yeah. most states, Florida is a notable exception. Uh, in most states, uh, companies, insurance companies, will have multiple rate tiers. Uh, so if you're a really good performing business, you might pay a dollar per hundred. Uh, and if you're not so good performing, they might put you with a different insurance company they own that's going to charge you a, a buck seventy-five per hundred, um, and that's definitely a risk. But if things really go off the rails, uh, then the bigger possibility is that they won't offer you at all. And the the problem with getting into that residual market is that in every state there's a mechanism where there's a surcharge, essentially for for not fitting into the standard market. And that, that works differently from state to state. This is Henry Lopez with a brief break from this episode to share a special offer from our new show sponsor, Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform for small business. As a small business owner, you need banking that's truly built for your small business. No more fees, no minimum balances, no more bookkeeping problems come tax season, and no more branch visits to complete basic banking tasks. Now you can take control of your money with Relay, an online banking and money management platform that puts you in complete control of your cash flow. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more of your hard-earned money. And Relay is the official banking partner for Profit First, so you can set up multiple checking and savings accounts and automate their percentage-based allocations using smart transfer rules. Relay also allows you to make unlimited payments via ACH, wires, or checks, earn interest on every spare dollar with Relay savings accounts, provide secure read-only access to your accountant and bookkeeper, and speed up bookkeeping with reliable bank feeds that sync directly into QuickBooks Online and Xero. Best of all, it takes less than 10 minutes to apply online and it's absolutely free. And as a special offer to the How With Business listeners, sign up for Relay using the link on the show notes page for this episode and you'll also get $50 added to your account once you fund your new account. You can find the link to the show notes page in the description for this episode. Relay customer deposits are FDIC insured through their partner bank, Thread Bank, member FDIC. Please see the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com for more details. All right, so I look at it as a business owner as two things that I can control here after getting the initial policy and then of course making sure the right code and all that good stuff i i am incentivized to reduce my or manage my claims right i'll come back to that and of course which has been one of the residuals that we've talked about is to create and maintain a safe working environment but if i go back to minimizing my claims it seems to me that i might be incentivized not to file a claim and try to solve or take care of the employee's injury on my own. 
am I allowed to do that? Is that against the rules? What, what is your thoughts there? Oh, wow. Um, so I'll start here because it's a, and this, this statement is going to cover a lot of different circumstances, including the question you asked. An insurance policy, this is true of every insurance policy, but here we're talking specifically about workers' compensation. An insurance policy is a contract. And I would encourage folks to read their workers' compensation policy because it is the simplest of all of your insurance policies. It always drives me nuts that for our little tiny business, my insurance agent sends us a, a binder that's like 300 pages that's all of our insurance. And, and I do this every day and I don't know what a lot of it says, but <laughs> workers' comp is about a three-page policy um, and it's it's very it's very simple. And one of the things that uh, that is required of you, the employer, uh, in the policy, uh, is that you will promptly report any injuries that your employees suffer. Yeah. Um, having said that, employers and I can see sorry to interrupt. I can see where obviously that would be the rule because not only not only is it the right thing. For probably for the employee, but more importantly, it is a signal or a measure of how safe my work environment is or isn't. Yes, both of those things are are true. Um, employers all over the country in small businesses and everything above that, um, when someone gets hurt and they look at it and they say, oh, well, that's, you know, he just needs a couple stitches or he needs a splint on his finger or uh, it's just a sprained ankle. Um, and they will they will pay for that out of pocket. Um, so that that it happens. We know that happens, right? Yeah. Our recommendation is that you can you can notify the insurance company of an injury um, and do it for information only. I see. Um, and so, rather than submitting the medical bills to the insurance company or telling the doctor that's treating the injured employee that it's a, a workers' compensation claim. Um, and what that does is it protects you against the mm -hmm. the very real, uh, although small risk. And we've certainly seen this happen where uh, someone gets a minor cut. And you think, oh, it's going to be a couple hundred bucks to, to fix this. Well, then it gets infected and it becomes a very serious issue. And depending on the circumstances and the state and the timing and you know, the insurance company may be in a position, say it's not our problem anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and if you notify them, then it, it kind of patches over that. So if, if yeah. a couple of weeks down the road, um, it becomes more serious. Um, one thing that I'll make a, a strong definitive statement on is that if a worker is injured and that injury is going to cause them to miss any amount of time outside of going to the doctor, do not pay it on your own. When you start getting into being responsible for for paying an injured employee's wages or the portion that workers' compensation pays, uh, you do not want to do that as an employer because you're going to run into all sort of regulatory issues. It opens you up to, to nasty stuff with attorneys. Um, you know, I we don't like employers paying claims out of pocket, but I've kind of made peace with the fact that it, it happens. It happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for sure with more serious things, yeah. uh, 
you know, turn it in. Well, and it's it's a good point you make. We might think it's not serious, but it could turn it serious. And then that's when we're exposed. Yeah. So right. what I'm hearing is at a minimum, if you do make that decision, you want to at least, and, there, and what you're telling me is there is a process through which to report uh, the incident, even if I'm not filing a claim and that doing so should, but I should read my my policy and make sure I understand it. It should keep me from violating the rules or or, or being a default of that policy if I at least notify the carrier. Right, you notify the carrier, and and a question that some people probably have is, oh, well, if I notify the carrier, is yeah. that going to <laughs> you know impact my my pricing or the availability of insurance down the road? Um, for folks that have an experience mod, your experience mod is not impacted by anything other than dollars, okay. right? So if there's zero dollars, that doesn't impact things. Certainly, uh, there there is in in the insurance business this old adage uh, that frequency breeds severity, right? That if a mm -hmm. business has ten little tiny claims or little tiny injuries this year. Um, it's likely that probably one of those was just a hair's breadth away from being something much more yeah, serious. There's a pattern um, here that indicates to something bigger, perhaps. Right. And so so it could if you if you had a number of those um, over the year, uh, it could impact uh, how the insurance company feels about you going into your next policy year. Uh, but you are dramatically better off. Uh, letting the insurance company handle it. And, and there's an important, uh, another important point here too, that's really critical for small business owners is that, you know, remembering why you buy insurance in the first place. Um, you buy insurance because you want your business and your personal assets to be protected when your company suffers a disaster. Right. Uh, and that's true, whether it's your property insurance or or liability, or, and then in workers' compensation. And when you allow the insurance to do what it's it's supposed to do, um, rather than trying to, to finance it yourself, you have the, the greatest level of protection against that, you know, getting into your business's bank account more deeply rather than maybe just having a slightly higher comp premium next year. Yeah, agreed. Well said. All right, let's talk about as we you've referred to this workers comp premium audit. Let's start by very briefly what it is, how often it happens and and what we should do as business owners to manage that process. So most of the time, uh your workers comp premium audit is going to happen probably 6 to 8 weeks after the end of your your workers comp policy. So if we you know, imagine for those folks that renew on January 1st, uh, you're probably getting your premium audit in, in February or early March. And these are usually workers, annual policies, right? Right. Yeah. Your workers' comp policy is always, it's and almost always going to be written for, for 12 months. Um, there are certainly circumstances where that can be a little different. Uh, but workers' compensation, when you pay your premium, when your agent comes to you and says, this is going to be your premium for this year, that is based on the payroll that you have estimated you're going to have over the next 12 months. What the premium audit does is that it comes back and looks over your books 
to see what payroll you actually had. Uh, if you had more payroll than you estimated, you're going to owe additional premium. Uh, if you had less payroll than you estimated, then you would get some of that money back, kind of like a, a tax refund. Yep. Um, and every business has a premium audit. The, the law requires that every policy be audited. Uh, that audit can happen in a variety of different ways, depending on the size of your business and the insurance company that you work with. Um, I suspect that many of your listeners uh, get their premium audit uh, through a form they get in the mail. And the insurance company says, please fill this out. Um, looks kind of like a tax form, although it's, it's asking different questions. Um, other folks are going to have it done over the telephone. It's become very common for these to happen over Zoom uh, since COVID. Uh, and then uh, larger businesses, and I don't really know how to define that because we had an in-person premium audit for our dinky $1,200 premium last year. Uh, but larger businesses will probably have someone actually come to the workplace and examine uh, the documentation themselves. And the, the first thing that a business owner uh, needs to think about, and this is something that you want to talk to your insurance agent about, is that there's, depending on the state, somewhere between you know 16 and 18 uh, different forms of money or substitutes for money that you might give your employees uh, that you aren't required to pay workers' comp premium on. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is not what you do or don't pay taxes on. Uh, I mean, as a for instance, with the exception of Pennsylvania and Delaware, the premium portion of overtime pay is excluded from the workers' compensation premium calculation. Nice. So if if you have an employee that makes 10 bucks an hour and they they make time and a half making 15 bucks an hour working overtime, that five dollars an hour, you don't pay workers comp on. Uh, you don't pay workers comp on on severance payments uh, that you give people that you may uh, let go. Um, you don't pay workers' comp on the employer contribution uh, to a health plan or to some sort of uh, of 401k type, you know, group pension plan. Uh, but you do pay workers' comp premium on the employee's contribution uh, to that, and and the list goes on. And and no business pays all of the different items, but I can tell you from having filled out years and years of these paper audit forms that insurance companies send, they don't even ask all the questions. They'll ask about overtime. That's typically the, the one thing that they, mm -hmm. they ask about. But if, uh, if you have other items uh, in your, your pay that, uh, that you don't have to pay workers' comp on, you want to make sure that you carve that out. But but how do how do I develop that knowledge? How do, who who do I who can I bring on as an advocate to help me with that? Or how do I educate? Because the insurance company, to your point, they're not going to help me find that or identify that. So how do I educate myself on that? Your your best your best bet for 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 getting a good answer to that question is uh, to work with a a really good insurance agent. You know our TVs are covered up with with companies uh, selling all sorts of insurance kind of direct to consumer. And that's happening more and more often in the commercial space as well. Um, the danger when you buy insurance yourself, uh, in workers' comp, the danger is not that, that you're going to buy the wrong insurance, because right. as we covered at the very beginning, the, the coverage is the same. 
the danger is that you don't have anyone to advocate for you and that yeah. you have very limited knowledge or opportunities to advocate for yourself. And, and, and like, just like the classifications we talked about before in most states, uh, the rules around excluded payroll uh, are, are behind a paywall and you can, you can find uh, some pretty good information online about that. The danger uh, when you're when you're looking for that kind of information is always uh, is it timely, right? Or is the article from ten years ago, or was mm -hmm. it written in the last you know twelve eighteen months? And does it apply in your state? Because there are absolutely variances uh, from from state to state about payroll rules and and everything else. Yeah. So it seems to me, and you know, you had made the point earlier, and that's been my experience also that I'm not going to. So going the route of going through a broker, the challenge is, of course, if it's a small policy, I'm not going to get much of their time. But it seems to me then that the point of leverage is to work with someone that has my other policies as well. So they're looking at it holistically, and therefore, I'm more likely to get their help in enlisting them as my advocate as I first get a policy and as I go through these premium audits. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. And, and even, you know, for, for those of you that have, you know, very low insurance premiums, um, you know, you, you should still get a call back or a, an email back from, uh, from your agent. Um, they're not necessarily going to be in a position where they can, you know, come sit with you for a day or two to make right. sure that all of exactly. this is, is put together. Uh, but if, if you're not, if you're not working with someone that's responsive to your questions and your needs, uh, then we would certainly encourage you to, to find someone else uh, that is because, you know, insurance agents, I mean, let's talk about the premium audit a little bit different way. Um, have Henry, have you ever been audited by the IRS? No, I have not. I haven't either, but I know, I know a number of people that have, and I can tell you that 0% of those people went through that IRS audit uh, without a number of experts at their side to make sure that everything was done the most advantageous way it could be for them. Business owners have a premium audit every year where there's a, a meaningful amount of money on the line. Uh, and most of them face that completely alone uh, in a system that they have no reason to have have a great deal of knowledge of right. and uh, and we would we would encourage any business owner of any size to find uh, someone to work with that that will will help uh, as as Henry alluded to and, and we did talk a little bit earlier uh, before we started that you know it's a challenge uh, you know insurance agents like um, like most salespeople are paid on uh, commission, and you are certainly not the only uh, only client that they have. But if if the if the folks you're working with aren't responsive to your questions and your needs, uh, then then find someone who is, and you'll be much happier, even yeah. if the price is a little bit more expensive. Agreed. Well said. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about, uh, in your case, again, you're a lead workers' compensation analyst at the Institute of Work Comp Professionals. So what do you guys do? What is your specialty and who do you work with? So our primary business uh, since 2001 has been 
uh, training, certifying, and, and mentoring uh, insurance agents around the country uh, in you know talking about workers' compensation, and and we work uh, to help them uh, you know certainly be more successful in their career selling more insurance, but doing that by helping their clients create better results. Um, you know, it's it's never just about you know teaching how to them teaching them how to be snake oil salesmen, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about uh, because one of the great things about selling insurance, and I don't want to recruit any of your listeners to, to get into the insurance business. I'm sure they're very happy with what they're doing. Uh, but one of the great things about selling insurance is that there's recurring revenue, right? When when I work with a business owner and, and I become their agent, if I do a good job and they continue to work with me, I don't have to sell that business owner every single year. Um, and and so the great agents work very hard to make sure that their uh, their clients are well taken care of and want to you know continue to to work with them. Um, what we've what we've started doing over the last uh, twelve months is we've developed a uh, a new training program specifically for employers mm. uh, because uh, we we've always felt and we've seen this with with our agent clients over the years that the best insurance clients are the the ones that that have you know an understanding of of the system and also of the the value that you know a good agent uh, can bring to the table and uh, so we built that program to teach employers you know, the fundamentals of the system and also the really important things that you can do inside your business to have a more successful workers comp program. Where, where do I find that? Where, where do I find this program, Kevin, if I want to learn uh, more So about you it? can find that at uh, lockedandloadedtraining.com. Okay, so it's a and I can send you that. your website. It's a, it's a separate website. Um, I've, uh, I've been, I've been a little slow in getting it added to our uh, our primary website, because we do have a page for employers uh, on our primary website at workcompprofessionals.com. Um, you'll you'll find a, a library of, of, I think they're all about 45 second videos. There's five or six of them uh, that explain workers comp, different parts of the system um, in a kind of hand-drawn animated uh, way that's certainly worth uh, checking out. But yeah, if you look at, at lockedandloadedtraining.com, uh, you'll see more information about uh, that program that we've put together uh, for employers. Uh, and the way that it's it's built is that when you enroll in the program, you and up to two other people inside your company can all enroll together. And the price that you'll see on the website is $14.97. But I've I've uh, set up a promo code. Promo code is Y, W H Y, uh, and that will give any of your listeners a five hundred dollar discount on uh, on that program. Um, and 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 any any business owner, if you're if you purchase workers' compensation insurance, uh, there is information inside that program uh, that's going to help, and it's going to it's going to cover things that we haven't had an opportunity to chat about today about the right way to hire employees because um, you need to be making sure that you're hiring people that are capable of doing the job that you're hiring them 
uh, to do. Uh, and with the lay, especially today, you're talking in particular when there's a when there's a physical component. To oh, it sure. In part? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you know, and and honestly, I think employers generally do a better job. This is a global statement. They do a better job of testing the skills of their office employees than they do uh, yeah. the the folks that are doing physical labor. But it's you're right. You're right. Uh, especially in the current labor market, it's so easy for people to say, oh, well, this guy's 25 and he played college football and he's 6'4", you know, 245, looks like he could deadlift a house. Well, he's yeah. fine. Well, what if you sent him to the doctor and found out that he'd had four back surgeries and mm -hmm. shouldn't even pick up a baby, much less, you know, a 50 pound sack of concrete? Well, yeah. Yeah. then it's not a question of, of if, but a question of when uh, that person's going to be injured. Uh, there's a lot of information about the the best ways to deal with with injured employees, making sure they get to the right doctor. You know how to bring them you know back to work uh, to do what you you said earlier, which is to help ultimately make uh, the business more productive and more profitable. Uh, because when an injured worker is away from work, especially in a small business where that one person represents a much larger percentage of the the overall labor force inside the business. Uh, when that person's gone, you're going to feel it and you yeah. you need to get them back as quickly as possible. All right. Excellent. Great, great tips. And thanks for offering that discount. I'll have a link to that page and the promo code in case you don't where you can write, you're not where you can write that down. I'll have that on the show notes page for this episode at the howabusiness.com. So Kevin, let's summarize here and wrap it up. Uh, because of time, like we said at the outset, we could talk about this <laughs> stuff for hours. And thanks for all of the information. I'd like you to summarize it. One thing you want us to take away overall about workers' comp and how we should think about it as small business owners. But what would be one thing you want us to take away about this conversation that we had about workers' compensation insurance? There is no type of insurance that you buy in your business that you have a greater degree of control over what you pay uh, without impacting the check the insurance company is going to write when something goes wrong uh, than workers' compensation. Um, it's a, a there, there's no type of insurance you can buy that provides you know, broader coverage for, for less money and you know, encouraging folks to, to find an insurance agent that they they feel is is responsive to their needs, uh, and if you if you have that mindset that you can control your workers' compensation costs, uh, you are are on your way uh, towards doing it. Yeah, great points there. That those are such good takeaways. I think that I would argue the misconception is the point that you're highlighting that there's a lot of control here over the cost of this insurance. But the key that you also highlighted and summarized is, as you had said it earlier, you have to advocate for yourself. But more importantly, if you're going to do that, educate yourself through a program like the one we just talked about that Kevin offers. Take advantage of that opportunity and or a good broker or agent that helps us that that helps us advocate for our business when it comes down to uh, doing a, a premium audit, which is going to happen every year. So great points, great takeaway. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. So you can go to uh, you can go to lockedandloadedtraining.com to find more information uh, about 
the program that we've put together uh, specifically for employers. You can go to workcompprofessionals.com. You'll certainly find there the information about uh, what we what we do working with insurance agents, but you'll also, if you look um, under the uh, the blog tab, there's a um, a wide array of articles, uh, workers' comp related articles. Most of them really uh, targeted as information for employers um, that that are is a, a good resource for folks to uh, to peruse. Um, and I, I think a lot of your listeners would would find that interesting. Excellent. Kevin, this has been a great conversation, very very educational, informative, actionable. Thanks for educating us on these topics related to compensation insurance, excuse me, workers' comp insurance. I think uh, hopefully maybe we'll get you back on the show next year, early next year, to talk about more of the side of it that we didn't get to, which is safety programs and uh, tips on how to make our work environment safer. So we may have to see if we can get you back to talk about that. But thanks for being with me today and sharing all of this knowledge. It's my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me for this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again is Kevin Ring. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to the podcast, or any podcast for that matter including on my YouTube channel, the How of Business YouTube channel, and at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.